Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another edition of the Box I Live In podcast with founder of the Box, Ben Reeve, my co-host, Blake Howard. Hello, Ben. Hello, everyone. And today's special guest, and I'll explain why I'm equally as excited, but I've, I've just keeps getting better and better, Mr. Navros Kotwal. How are you, Nav? I'm good, Ben. Thanks for having me on. Very good. Now, Nav's in Auckland, and Nav, you fall into the category of interesting people I've had on my programs, which basically has been about half of the people I've spoken to on the podcast. <laughs> but the slight difference is, Nav, you're a current participant on a program. <laughs> yep. yep, I am. And I guess when you signed up to the program, you didn't expect it also entailed to come on my podcast. <laughs> well, no, no, that, that wasn't really part of the agenda, was it? And it's kind of exciting because... The reality is, given COVID here, and, and Nav's actually in Auckland, is that we've never physically met, I, we've never been in the same room, but we have done coaching conversations, we have done webinars. And, you know, the theme that Blake and I have been discussing, and we talked about this last time, you know, with Denise and also with Christopher, is finding people that have got interesting perspectives and are kind of living their careers. And, and so of the 50-odd people that we've got currently going through the programme, for you, and it's not for some reason, I know the reason, but I mean, I won't give it all away. You're the one that really has stood out for me because I think you've made me laugh with your unique view on life. Now, I'm not sure. Do you feel as though you have a unique view on life? Um, no, not, not really, to be honest. It's, it's quite flattering. But um, I, I know that I do have a tendency to run my mouth off and that can result in <laughs> laughter. So it's just one of those. Uh, I don't exactly, uh, uh, you know, play my cards too close to the chest. So that's refreshing. That's refreshing to hear. I know. I already. I Nav and I have just met, and I already know, knowing Ben, that I know exactly why he uh, he likes you, Nav. It's based on that <laughs> sentiment alone. Well, do you know what it is though? And it's Blake, and it's the same, right? And there is a theme to this podcast, and I've been reflecting on it because you know I've still have I got the training wheels on? I think the training wheels have come off now, right? Because how many we up to? Have you come off? But but what it is, it's people that've got an opinion, and people that have got a philosophy, and are not afraid to share it. And and I and I, I know we spoke about this in terms of with Michelle with corporates, and I get that we've got to be within the system, and you've got to respect the system. But I think what both you guys have done and probably all the people I've spoken to that have been on programs, they've challenged the thinking, they've challenged me, and they're not just going to accept. And it's almost like, tell me what I should do. It's mm. like, explain to me why I should do that. And equally, they're coming from a position you both are. And now this is why I'm interested with you today with the listeners is to mm. kind of get that perspective. You bring a different viewpoint, which has really challenged me. Right. And I think, you know, now I said to Nav just before we came on air. You know, the, some of the observations you've made have actually made me question some of my own assumptions because it's very easy to sit in your own at library tower or sit in my box here, the box I live in, and dispense wisdom yeah. down a tube <laughs> yeah. and think, yeah. oh, I'm a bloody genius. And then reality is <laughs> it's like, am I really that smart? No, I'm not. So it's, it's a good leveler. So that's why yeah. we're all here. <laughs> nice. Yeah, well, a desk is a dangerous place to view the world from. So <laughs> see, it does happen sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> How cool is that? So let's do this. Let's jump into it now. Um, give us give us an overview. Like, who are you? What do you do? And then let's talk about how it all started. So, so let's talk about today. So who are you? What do you do today? Right. So as of right now, I'm with Westpac, uh, New Zealand. And we've got nothing to do with Westpac Australia, just saying. <laughs> and um, I'm one of the managers that runs uh, one of the teams at Retail Bank for the contact centre. So I'm a hands-on ops guy 
to until yeah. I started off as a banking specialist, which is what the role is referred to as now, and now I lead a team of them. So I've got about 13 or 14 direct reports. Yeah. So you're you so and basically the program we're running is about leadership and it's about developing yeah. and it's kind of you know consistent with what the bank requires. And that's the point, right? Because operationally you've done the roles and, and I think you've got a really good understanding of how the broader business works. Would that be fair to say? You, you're not just a sort of a doing a job. I think you get the ecosystem and the environment in which you're working in. I, I definitely do, especially with the retail bank side of things. Uh, I know for a fact that I'm not very savvy with where we're borrowing our money from or the corporate side of it in that sense. But my world, CBNW, as, we, as we're known, I, I am quite aware of what's going on and what levers are being pulled when and all of that stuff. Cool. Now, and this is this is my spider senses, see, because I meet a lot of people in jobs today. But that perspective that you have is is kind of like this expanded view. And this is why then I want to go back and I want to go back to the start of your career. And I want to talk about the journey that got you to, you know, Auckland, got you to the bank. And and can you just like, how did it all start? Like, what was well, I know what you what was your first job? Because I love this. Go on. <laughs> Well, it's a bit of a mixed bag. So in terms of my first job, and it's it's not very common in India to have a job when you're in high school, you typically don't get a job till you're 24, 25. But uh, my mom and dad were of the mind that, you know, I'm, I'm quite um, hyperactive. I need focus. So believe it or not, I started um, doing a part-time thing for my parents' CA. And I used to sit and fill out deathly boring forms and stuff for people that needed to make investments in that. That was really my first job job, but it wasn't really much. Um, Career-wise, what actually started out started out pretty rough because uh, my initial aspiration was to be in the Indian Army, uh, not a word of a lie. And I prepped for about two years. It's extremely competitive, very, very hard to get into a talent pool of about uh, 300,000 people with 70 slots to share to you know, get into. And I I made it all the way down to the wire and then it kind of bombed out. And that's where everything just like my world imploded. I I don't know what was going on. I'm like, wait, I have never suffered failure. Like what nonsense is this? I wasn't willing to accept it. Right. And at at that point, um, it it was all about being gung ho and, you know, full of machismo and yeah, I'm a man. I need to do a man's job. I'm not going to be behind the desk. No one's going to get, you know, soft hands for soft people and all that shit. And so what lands up happening is I decided to follow in the footsteps of uh, one of my grand uncles, who was a tea planter. And uh, I got into the plantations in India and uh, turned into a bit of an agribusiness man and worked on coffee plantations, where I had, um, I held down a manager position there and looked after about 600 hectares of uh, Arabica, which is lovely coffee. Sure is. So, yeah. And so that that happened. And it was a really, really, it was a serial shift. I mean, I'm no city slicker at the end of the day. But at the same time, I certainly wasn't, you know, born in a village either. So it, it was quite a different kind of situation It took a lot of getting used to the only advantage I really had was knowing the language, being able to speak it uh, to some degree of decency, although that decency soon wasn't required, because you, you you've got to get down dirty with uh, <laughs> a couple hundred labor, when you got them to do their jobs. So that happened for about two and a half years. And soon after which, I mean, it was a great place to work and all of that, but didn't really see longevity in it. So let's and, just pause. Let me get you to pause because yeah. I, w- I want to back up a little bit. 
So, so the army, I never knew the army was so competitive in India. I mean, obviously there's population, but the numbers are significantly small, right? I'd have thought there'd have been a place for everybody. That's, my, again, my, my uh, limited view of the world. Is that competitive? Is it? You weren't going for like the SAS or something, were you? You weren't going like for special no. ops? No, not at all. But it's the officer's training academy. Ah, uh, yeah. So you, you start off as an as, um, officer, and uh, d- d- I guess the, the reason why I wanted the army quite badly was it, it gave me a feeling of a sense of independence that, yes, this is where I can just go in. I don't need to fluff around studying for any more. I've got a graduate degree, which in India, believe it or not, is nothing. It's, it's like, yeah, cool. You're just one other graduate among another billion of them. But um, it, it, it's just nuts. So, yeah, it, it was very, very... Um, focused effort that I put in but again I ran my mouth off and I lost the opportunity but, well, <laughs> here I am so yeah my first then, lesson discipline and then the tea plantation because when you told me that when we first called up and had a chat it, it, it's it's so far removed from I guess a lot of the western world conceptual view of leadership and yet I imagine it was such a grounding. And I think you said to me, I used to grow plants and now I, now I grow people, which I love. So you've got more phrases than I have. So, 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 so talk to me about that as a learning ground on a plantation, because it was it was like you're here to do a job. And, it, you know, the airs, there were, you said there wasn't a lot of airs and graces from what I understood from our conversations. None, none whatsoever. And it's interesting because you, you get into it in a management position, of course, right? Uh, because you, you, you have the background uh, educationally, academically or whatever. But once you're actually there, you realize that you don't really know a lot. I mean, it's a crop. And if there's anyone that knows what's going on, it's, it's every single one of those, um, those workers on there. And learning from them, I think, was the main grounding, is my bosses taught me very little in terms of what I needed to actually look for and know. Like, I mean, if, if there's a pest sitting there, you know, if there's a little white stem borer somewhere, it, it's this old, gnarly old man that's going to point it out and be like, that one, that one there, sir, that's, that, that plant is dying. And it's like, how, how can you tell it's dying, you know, and you, you, you just don't know anything. So you, you have to just drop all your preconceived notions of how the world works, and you just get on with gaining competence. And that, that was part number one of that job, is just knowing what I needed to look for. There's a humility that comes with that, though, right? Because I guess in a hierarchical structure, as I'm sure it would have been, and even the language you use there about, you know, sir, and even though, you yeah. know, as you said, you're significantly younger, there was a natural humility not to step in and just assume that because you've got the title, you know what's going on. And I'm sure you'd have seen others come in and not approach it in that style. So is that just yeah. how you've been built or did you learn that? Or have you always like, how did you not just role model some of the other behaviors you were seeing from some of the other managers? Um, with, with me, I'm very conscious of the fact that I, I don't even know the extent of my ignorance. I mean, I, I know that there is a lot out there that I don't know and I can't pretend to, I can't pretend to knowledge. That's something that I'm not comfortable with, never have been. And I'm not afraid of saying I don't know. And that's just been something that since, you know, I was a kid, it's always been like that. I even used to write, I don't know, in my answer papers, much to the irritation of um, the teachers that had the market. Like, literally, I don't know, full stop. Don't care. Uh, I'll figure it out. So it, it was just that. Not a problem. And then 
talk, talk, tell, tell Blake and the listeners, because this is this is the other thing from the first conversations about about the worst leader you ever had. Because we ran this, so we ran this. I ran the. I do. I ask this question on the program. We talk about good leaders. We talk about bad leaders, and 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 Nav used this example like within, and he didn't explain where it was from. So so let me. Ask, so give give us the who's the worst leader you've ever had. <laughs> Well, you, you know, coming to think of it, he he wasn't the worst leader, but he was not a role model, to, to be quite honest. I mean, he taught me everything I needed to know about what you should never do. And and I think that's a very important lesson, to, to, to know what to not do is as important as knowing what to do. So with this guy, he was just full of rage for some reason. And I think I understand, given the fact that he was in that industry for 40 something years. So he, he was a man that knew what was up. And just that that whole anger that, that, that he had sort of just came out in, you know, it was like, if you guys are familiar with Game of Thrones, he was just like, you know, Danny on the Dragon Man. He just like Dracarys, everything needs to burn all the time. <laughs> and there's, there's no room for conversation. There's, there's no question of, you know, sense checking something no no it just it happens the way it happens and it caused a lot of conflict on the estates as well it was not an easy place to be uh, turned into a couple of strikes with the labor as well which was not pleasant of course and then it falls to you as a young assistant manager to try and make it right so you're, you're negotiating with union leaders which is i i was only 22 at the time so wow. you can appreciate that i wasn't exactly um and and then i wasn't someone that was you know, willing to back down either because it's a delicate balance. I've I've got to look after the, the the well-being of my people. I need to also have my bosses back because that's ultimately what we're there for. So finding that balance was really hard with him. And um, he used to carry around the gun because you know you you have uh, elephants and uh, leopards and all of that stuff around. Uh, he thought nothing of firing it off a couple of times. <laughs> As yeah. a, that's a way to get attention in a meeting, especially a collective oh. bargaining one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, I, I, and I loved it because because when Nav told that story, and he oh. just said the worst leader was someone that you know came into work one day with a gun. They were like, oh, and I was like, Nav, what bank does he work for? <laughs> <laughs> Knowing full well that you know it was out of that, and it's such a contrast, right? And it, I mean, this, this for me, sort of. One, it, I guess one, it's understanding it's a product of the system and the environment, and that's the way it is. And I think it's very easy to sit, as you said, down on a, on a, in a you know, look down the lens and judge. And I don't, I just, I find it fascinating. What I find it fascinating, though, is that somebody like yourself in the middle of all that almost ends up playing, you know, peacekeeper, ends up yeah. playing that, that, that neutral role. And obviously, is just learning on the job. I mean, did you did you feel at the time as though this was like the ultimate learning pool or was it just turn up, do it because you're 22, go home? And like, did you realise how much you were taking out of the experience? Um, at, at the risk of sounding like a bit of a sadist, I loved every minute of it. <laughs> because yeah. I was being stretched in, a, my mind was blown. Like I couldn't believe the kind of things that were happening. You know, it, it's just, it's next level. Like we, we had a budget to marry frogs. Okay, uh, I'll tell you a little bit about this. So in, in India, of course, we, you know, we're quite superstitious and all of that. And um, agri-communities typically have very old practices. So there was this one thing where, you know, to satiate the rain gods when they're not really playing ball with you and for a bit of cloud and rain, what, what, what you do is uh, they, they marry frogs. And, and when I saw this, I, you know, you're quite, you brought up to be a little bit scientific about these things. You, you, you think of, oh, I'll, I'll do cloud seeding instead. 
not not go marry frogs and and you know you see this stuff and you hear it and people are taking it seriously and there's this little you know fake marriage going on of these two little frogs that are thrust into this circle and everyone's come dressed up like they're at the wedding and i was just like <laughs> man am i tripping or what's going on like i've never touched drugs in my life i never will but believe me you see that stuff and you wonder where you are like it's just it was nuts <laughs> <laughs> and you just go with it huh but again it comes back to then understanding and this comes back to you said that ignorance that quote you know i i don't know what i don't know and that preparedness to sort of just suspend that judgment i mean I, you. I, I think i think there's one thing i want to tag on ben just before we go any further is that it is awesome to hear how nav despite obviously being in like the vice-like press of that situation at 22 it's insane but it's a perfect mixture of um leadership and career sadism, which I'm glad that he used that word because that's what it is. And the other thing of surrendering to the things that you don't know and that candor, that honesty of, I don't know the answer. Um, I think it actually helps protect you Nav in some ways because the people who are with you in those really hostile, potentially conflict adult negotiations, and they see this young person across from them, they can find a lot of comfort in the fact that you say, look, I don't know the answer to this. And then on certain occasions where you're like, no, that's not right. They're getting both sides. They're getting some strength on the things that you're sure about. Yeah. And they're getting this real, I think it's like is that old phrase of fast friendship. It's like that real fast yeah. trust because you just, you're seeing right from the outset when Nav doesn't know the answer, he doesn't. And I, and I, you know, again, it's funny. We keep finding these kindred spirits, Ben, these weirdos who um, <laughs> love these insane situations and bring them onto this show. But I, I, I love hearing this. I'm like, man, I would have loved that. That would have been a blast. I reckon I would have learned a lot. It, it was great. It, it was honestly one of the best experiences I could have asked for. That was, I think, the only time I was thankful for not getting into the army. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. It's interesting, though, because there is a difference. And I think this is this is what is interesting in talking to the kindred spirits is there's an openness and it's not binary i.e no. that point of i know what i know and i'm confident about that and i will work towards that and if you want to challenge me that's fine you can challenge me but i've got an opinion and i'm going to deliver but where there we where people don't know there is that and it's not a vulnerability maybe it's just an acceptance that i don't know everything but a, a, a comfort in who we are to actually say that which i think is so it's almost contrary to a lot of the stereotypes that we should know everything. And particularly when you talk to new leaders coming through, and I do a lot of that training is I think there is this kind of belief that I need to have all the answers. And I'm always like, well, actually, no, you've got to know the boundaries as, as, as mm -hmm. we've been saying. And then you just ask lots of questions to try and help solve problems or coach the process. But yep. I think that takes that, you know, some people like they've got that as a natural skill and others, they've got to kind of get their head around that. And it's, it's, it's an interesting one. Were you, were you, were you, now, were you, did you stand out as being slightly different from the norm then in these sorts of organizations? Like, was your approach understood? Like, did you get berated for not being, you know, not having big enough kahunas and actually just firing the gun? Or did people just accept you to get outcomes in a different way? Um, they accepted the fact that I was quite different in my style of um, just my approach in general. And, um, I, I had my moments where I could be a bit of a terror as well. So um, it, it, no one was really riding roughshod over me in, in terms of, um, you know, uh, I guess the only sort of vulnerability I showed was around the knowledge front, not yeah. so much as, you know, a person in that sense. So I was like, hey, I, I'm here to learn just as much as you're here to, to do this job that you've been doing for the last 30 years. 
So help me learn or teach me. And if you don't want to do either, then I'll figure it out some, some other way anyway. So it, it was accepted. It took a little bit of time as most things do really, but for the most part, it, it, it went quite well. And uh, yeah, it was not a problem at all. It Excellent. was quite good. Excellent. So let, let's go forward in time then. So, so yeah. I'm sure there might be other things you've done, but I want to know the New Zealand story because I want to get on to sort of where you are in New Zealand and then also sort of talk about these insights around the different sort of how you do the same in, in what is a different culture. So what's the story? What, what, what brought you to New Zealand? How did you end up over in uh, over well, Auckland now? But originally, I think you were somewhere else, weren't you? That's right. So uh, what I did was uh, with uh, the, the plantation thing, not really going anywhere. I said, uh, take some time to upskill, you know, do a postgrad. It was never too much of a bookish type in terms of academia. I love books, but not academia. And I said, but we, we need to try and give something different a chance. Uh, going west in that sense was never really on, on my radar, as you can imagine. But uh, it was just a blend of factors. I think my mom and dad, uh, my, my dad studied in Singapore. Uh, Mum studied in India, but our families all pretty scattered all, all over, mostly in America. And they were like, you know, why don't you get out? Why don't you go have a look at what the world has to offer? You've been on a couple of holidays, but now maybe it's time to actually go be a person somewhere else. So I said, okay, cool. Let, let's figure it out. Where do I go? Well, the furthest place from home, which is not an easy flight to catch. So <laughs> New Zealand it was, uh, just as, as far away as I could get. Didn't know a soul when I got here. Uh, we, we just knew one family uh, and that was about it. So I just wanted a place where I could come and just be who I am without the burden of, you know, oh, so you're this one's son, or you're that one's son or grandson or whatever. India is like that. So it was refreshing to just be nobody, like just being a Mr. Nobody somewhere. It's a great feeling. So and you came over I, to I came, study? I came over to study on a, a student visa. So I did a postgrad uh, diploma in management uh, in Rotorua, which is... Um, quite well known for its uh, smelly sulfur springs and all of that <laughs> and my my now wife then partner came over from india did her little um, masters in architecture whatever here in auckland and then i moved here and that that's where sort of you know getting into an office and getting behind the desks started happening for me and i'm always interested you know and it's not that you weren't worldly wise or you'd been around but like you said it's it is a different culture i mean was it did you have to adjust? I imagine you got, you kind of, you know, you know people, right? So you can understand it. But what was it like? I mean, are there similarities in culture? Is it different? I mean, I, it, it's a long way, but there are, I mean, I see the same with, you know, the UK and, and Australia and, and, and New Zealand. There's always similarities, but there's also differences. So what, what, what did you find when you first got here and since? The, I think the first thing that really stood out was the fact that everyone just leaves you alone when you want to be left alone. Like no, no one's sort of coming after you. Is everything okay? Who are you? What are you? What's your name? I've never seen you on the street before. Like none of that stuff. It's just, it's really placid. It's really nice. I, I personally thrive in those kind of environments. And I, I guess the other big thing was people just, they, they just get on with life. You know, everything just moves at pace. And you determine that pace for yourself. It's not a collective that decides what you should be doing or when you should be doing it. And this lack of keeping up appearances is something that I absolutely adore about New Zealand. Nobody gives a rats. It's brilliant. <laughs> like you show up at a fancy restaurant in a pair of shorts and a t-shirt and it's absolutely fine. You don't need to be togged up to go anywhere. And it's just so refreshing from, you know, what is otherwise a very different culture. 
<laughs> I hadn't thought of that. It's the same when I came to Australia, really. You kind of, it's quite egalitarian in a sense because yeah. it's exactly that, you know, the class system, well, there is, it's always in any, mm-hmm. but it's not as prevalent and it is about yeah. let's get on with it and let's, let's enjoy ourselves and let's work hard, but let's equally make the most of it. So yeah. it's, it's funny, you know, because again, it comes back to sort of appreciating what you've got, because as you become part of it, you kind of lose sight of that. It's only when you go back or see other cultures or you or you think about it, it, it kind of you realize how good you've got it. Right. Definitely. And, and it's just such a nice um, it, it's such a nice juxtaposition to the rest of the world. When you think about it, it's this little place. It's uh, four or five million people and everyone is just chilled out like you know, there's the out, they, they, they do their things and the, the focus on the outdoors is really something that I appreciate. You're encouraged to get out. You're encouraged to just go stand under the sky and just appreciate what you've got at that minute. And that, that sort of philosophy kind of runs through, I mean, not so much in Auckland because it's, you know, cities will ruin anyone's head, but the, <laughs> the rest of the country is doing really well with that. And that lifestyle is something that just really appealed at that point. And then it's talked about finding the desk job. I mean, it's, it's, it doesn't, well, it's, it wasn't your aspiration, right? It wasn't your aspiration to be a banker and to sit and run a team of bankers. Cause clearly you've just explained that, but so, so how did you find yourself in this job? And I guess we've got to be sensitive because if it's like, you know, yeah, but I don't really like, and I, I know you enjoy it and I know you do enjoy it. So, so what does this role give you? What, what, like, what's the challenge in it for you? The, the challenge in it for me is the fact that I'm around a whole different set of people and just trying to get them to really thrive in the environments that they find themselves. It's something I've had to do, right? Uh, for better or worse, wherever I've been, I, I, I'm sort of like a weed. You put me anywhere and I'll grow. Uh, I mean, until you actually just go and, and you know, fuck me, I'm, I'm there. I'm going to grow. I'm going to thrive. And, and it's not in a negative context. It's just that I'm, I'm happy wherever I am. It's the ability to make the most of what you've got. And believe me, it's such a privilege to be able to work in what? A 200-year-old bank. I mean, why should I even be employed there? If you think about it, with my background and things like that, what place does it have for me? But it's it's obviously, it's given me a place and I've been able to really contribute to it. So, you know, just fostering that sense of, hey, we're here. We're all here for different reasons. We Some of us are here by default. Some of us are here through, you know, active decision-making and all of that stuff. But once you're here, what are you going to do about it? How are you going to make it the absolute best place that it can be for you at that time? And that's where I get my kick from. And I think, and I think what you just said for me is, is the refreshing part around, I think there's a lot of people that are in actually really great environments, but we take it for granted. And yeah. and for whatever reason, it's like we get comfortable. And and that and 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 I think you know the conversation we had most recently was the one where we were talking about uh, you know do company do, do individuals are they attracted to the brands? You know, if you look at employee engagement, then the drivers, as I see them, you know, look at all those employee surveys. It's like you know what's important to the individual, their value sets. It's am I in a job that you know motivates me? Do I work for a leader that I trust? And do I work for a brand or a company or a culture that I'm proud to work for? And I think I made the observation, and, and maybe it's a byproduct of the segments of people that I work with, which are normally professionals like yourself that have come through the system. And what they're saying is, yeah, the brands, as long as it's not like dealing drugs or selling arms or something, you know, <laughs> or wrecking the planet, it's kind of important. But the leader and the job and what I want to do is key. But, you know, you rightly 
said, yeah, that's us. But there's a whole lot of people that are still very much attracted and want the kudos that goes with working a large brand, right? Yes. And and I'd miss that. And 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 like I said, you know, from your experience, like, is that as important as? Because I think I I don't. Part of me wonders whether it is that, but it has to be, right? And yet you've got you've got team members that basically like they love the brand as much as they love you. So so is that something from your own perspective you've seen? Like, can, do you think you have to have the brand love plus the people leader plus, or or is you know this brand appreciation like how important is that? I think with the brand, what happens is if you're if you're loyal to the brand per se, it it ceases to matter who your direct report is in that sense or who you're reporting up to simply because you have a very firm belief in the, the overarching structure that, that you know, you're under in that sense. And for better or worse at that point, what you become is you become a bit of a fanatic. You, you, you become someone that is willing to toe the line, even with, let's say, you know, people that you don't see eye to eye within the same organization for the sake of the organization. At that point, you're a lot more than just an individual that, that gets a paycheck at the end of every fortnight. You're a representative of the organization that you work for. You're Mr. You know, so-and-so when you're out on the street. And that sense of empowerment only comes from the brand. I, I can't go walking around town telling people who my boss's name is, right? They're not going to care. <laughs> but the minute I say, hey, I work for Westpac, it means something. It, it, it comes with a certain weight. It comes with a certain responsibility. And people who take that responsibility on typically will always feel that they're in positions of influence, even if they, what they're doing is a very simple or basic thing, they still have that ability to, to portray that. And that gives, that, that's what brings value in that sense. Yeah, it's interesting. So another client of mine many years ago, he's talked about the power of the card. You know, if it's got a Westpac or a recognized brand on it, yep. you know, as bankers, if you make the call, then norm normally if a bank rings me, I wonder if I've what rules I've broken. <laughs> but that was that that was the old bank. You know, now it's the proactive approach. And and like I say, the, we talk about the power of the card. And and like I said, I think it's one of those things that is very easy if you, you know, to, to take for granted when you work for these large organizations. And yes. you know, I think we I think we miss a trickle sometimes, you know, in terms of actually talking that up, not always talking it down. It, and, and that's the thing is, is you find that very often, uh, you know, it's, it's the whole thing of familiarity breeds contempt. I mean, the closer you are to something, um, you, you're bound to see the cracks in it. You're, you're bound to, to slowly start feeling a resentment and then nothing's ever good enough. But at the end of the day, if that's the kind of mindset that you're going to adopt, then wherever you are is never going to be perfect. Right. So at that point, you may as well just get out and work for yourself. So but you're all, it's just, you know, you're also not a sycophant. So you're not going to no. just say things for to be to get on with it. So you do have an opinion. So so for you, totally. this is, you know, this is an interesting juxtaposition because there's others that will say they love it because it's politically correct to do. But as you right. said, you, you've got a big mouth and you're going to challenge. So, yes. so, so for you, it's that conscious decision that if I'm going to work here, whatever that is, be the brand or not, it's kind of like there, there's more to it than just the paycheck. Definitely. And, it, and it's for the brand. So in, in this case, when, I mean, think about it, I, I represent a company that, that's been around for what, 200 years? It, it's something special. So making sure that it can go another 100 years or at least another 20. <laughs> that's something that I feel a little bit of a responsibility towards, in a sense. 
is the, the the fact that it's been around and and it's influential. It's it's not a small, you know, it's not a fly by night kind of organization. So when you're in that position where you can drive for the future, then why wouldn't you? That's that's the way I look at it. And if that means treading on someone's toes at at some point in time, because I don't think that they're doing the right thing by just for the future in that sense, then then I'll do it a hundred percent. It's interesting, think, isn't it? Sorry, right, go on. I was just going to say to Nav, it's, um, it's really interesting because the one thing I want to tag on that, it's because, you know, being invested in the brand for someone like Nav is phenomenal, but I, because, you know, whatever company that you're working for, you're going to have a benefit of having someone who genuinely believes in what the outlook of the company is. I think there's a lot of people who devalue that. And I think it's important that you've got to have your values aligned just broadly, even, even aspirational values. Um, yeah. My only caveat is that a lot of companies sometimes say this is who we are and i think some people companies need to have a look at themselves and say no this is who we want to be you know yep. this is not who we've been this is not this is not how franchises of past have led us i think sports teams tell us a lot about that um uh to sacrificing a captain and a coach when uh, sometimes the franchise isn't going where it needs to be but i think what nav said that really resonates with me ben and i think it should hopefully is resonating with the listeners is like literally squeezing the life out of the opportunities that you are afforded, right? Like really, you know, whatever that opportunity is. And, and I remember, you know, my, my favorite team probably ever I worked with as a leader is this team littered with working mums who had different demands outside of work with kids and uni students. And they gave them to me, this team, uh, a leader at the time, because they're like, Blake, you're, you're a uni student you're, and, and you don't work at full times. You'll get this eclectic bunch of people who kind of don't really fit in with the rest of our teams who just work the nine to five. And I remember having conversations with those guys, every one of them and saying, what do you want? Like, why are you here? What is it for? Like, and really asking those questions about what is it for and never being afraid of what the answer is. Yeah. Because if the answer is, I'm just here for the check, it's like, well, how do I make you invaluable and employable so that you can keep getting that check? That check. And, and, and so I think that that's, that's such a valuable insight to you've just got to squeeze the life out of it wherever you're at and, and make the most of it. Because at the end of the day, it is a mutual beneficial, mutual beneficial symbiotic relationship you're having with this company. Definitely. You know, I, I wonder whether, um, cause like I said, I just, I just think there's a lot of people that turn up and then moan about what they've got. And I wonder that are you a natural optimist, Nav? Like are you, are you naturally see the upside because there's because the cynical part of me sort of goes, oh my god, they've done an indoctrination job on you. You know, <laughs> it's like, oh god, you really have drunk the Kool Aid. And I know, and this is this is the genuine because there's others that say yeah. it. So, but are you a natural optimist? Because that approach you've got is actually for everybody is kind of cool. It's like, well, don't worry about what's not working. If you're here, what can I do? And how do we make it work? And how do I step into this and learn from this? Is, it, is that, are you just built like that? Or have you learned to do that? I, I'm, I'm not going to say that I'm an optimist. I'm very pragmatic. So right now, what's, what, 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 is, what is my position in life? I'm currently with Westpac. What is my goal? To do 100% for Westpac. If it's not going to be Westpac, it's going to be somewhere else. But the approach that I adopt is always going to be the same. Yeah. So with this kind of situation, I would say that I'm just someone that is quite grateful for the opportunity that has been afforded. And wherever I've gone, I've always done 200%. It's, it, that is what is actually me. So whether I'm going to be, let's say I work for you tomorrow, Ben, I'll, you'll get 200% just as much as Westpac gets 200% out of me. It's, that is what my natural tendency is. Not so much, oh, Westpac is, the, it's not infallible. It's an organization, every organization's fallible. 
but is it my job to try and make it as good as it can be? Absolutely. And will I do that? 100%. So it's not about actually, you know, as you said, uh, drinking the Kool-Aid so much as just, it's, it's an ethical stance that I take regardless of who I work for. Yeah, it's interesting. See, you would be, you'd be a come, come and work with me, or tell my girls that when they were growing up, they were like, if I give you two traits, it would be a work ethic and a sense of humour. Yeah. <laughs> that's because re- unfortunately like, <laughs> to me, and by the sounds of things, to the three of us, that's all there is. That's all there needs to be: a sense of humour and a work ethic. Give me a hundred of those. Give me a hundred of those. So is that is that what the secret to success is? You could have a work ethic and a sense of humour. I reckon. It, I reckon. Hundred percent. You nailed that, Ben. Pretty much. Patent that today. <laughs> So, so, so here we go. So, so let's explore then some of your experiences in the leadership space and, and maybe it's some of the different cultures, because when we did speak to a few of our other guests, Michelle in particular, you know, and Blake, and you probably fall in this category as well. You know, we, we had these big conversations about the younger people, as I'll call them, you know, the millennials, the Gen Zs and what have you. And and I know you've got a blend in your team and you manage like guys and girls that are at different stages of their career. Yeah. But but how do you go about because you I would suggest that your approach now is is to a certain degree rooted in, you know, a well thought out philosophy. And it's a little bit old school, right? Because there's it others is. that would listen to you. And that's why they'd be saying, what? Stick there, love the company, but then I'm gone. So how do you help the guys and girls that are maybe more of the younger gen that are coming in and they're like, yeah, well, it's a job. It's part of who I am. I mean, do you do you try and switch them onto the magic of the brand, or like, is it do they need a different approach? Basically, can you coach me? How do I bloody lead millennials or Gen? What are they Gen Z these days? Isn't it even younger? Yeah, Gen Z. I think um, it, it's interesting you ask that because it's it's been my biggest bugbear, and I think the first thing that I've always sort of said is um, harden fuck up. Uh, that's that's number one, right? The the world doesn't owe you shit at the end of the day. You're here, you do what you need to do. You've got the job. If you want to do it well, guess what? Your paycheck's going to be the same. You do it exceptionally well, your paycheck still remains the same. But what do you actually get out of it? A heightened sense of fulfillment, more competence, an ability to actually control outcomes for people, including yourself, and the actual opportunity to, to get on with life. And, you know, sometimes you have to do certain things that need to be done so that you can do what you want one day. And if this is that stepping stone, then don't slip, fall and break your back. You know, take the leap and just get on with it. So that's that's pretty much the approach is A, harden up. There's nothing to cry about. It's not going to be easy. Number two, we'll support you the best that we can. And thirdly, when you build competence, do it for yourself. Don't do it for someone else. Yes. Treat yes. this as a highly, as a place where you're actually getting paid to get an education. If you use that as a training, if you use a, a bank as a training ground, you're going to learn more here than, than you know, the University of Sydney or Auckland can ever bloody teach you for three years and then you paid them $40,000 for the privilege. No way. And, and that's, that's pretty much it. It's like, you can get an education here, so make it work. I think I should come and work for you. I love it. <laughs> Now, but again, see, because I can imagine you can deliver that message in a very matter of fact, but empathetic way. We and, and like just because it's you and you believe it. Right. And and I, I mean, I, I guess it's it's kind of compelling because if I if I listen and I go with it, then I'm going to get an education. If I listen to you and think, well, it ain't going to work, then it's, I guess it's well, you need to find mm-hmm. But the balance, opportunities. There's a balance here. And I think this is it's great that Nav has led with that. 
because there is a balance. And when, especially in secondary education, in an Australian context, and I'm just going to make an assumption in the New Zealand context, so much of it is really uh, applying as much care and as much tailoring and as much consideration to how you're educating kids to a certain point in their educational career to make sure that they get to the minimum level of competency to be like a really, you know, a basic citizen who can contribute it to society yep. fundamentally um, from an educational standpoint. But then there is this point and it's kind of like 14, 15. That's where the, the real um, focus on getting you to a competency level for citizenship. Mm -hmm. Then when you get past that, um, uh, especially someone who's going into teaching after being in a corporate career for 14 years, you know, and having a, a litany of different experiences. One of the things I say is like any kind of a senior student that I've been around and watched that maybe misbehaves. I'm like, do you know how quickly I would have fired you if you're working for me? Yeah. Like there is, there is something that, and teachers are, are getting better at doing it and bridging that gap of like, Hey, the behavior that you think is all good and all this tailoring and all yeah. this additional support, when you get out, just so you know, this is the environment that we're in. We're trying to we're yeah. trying to see you thrive, but exactly as Nav said, the world once you leave these doors owes you literally nothing. Nothing. And yeah. Nothing. And it's actually being able to manage their expectations that that's what the workforce is, and you learn very quickly. You learn very quickly mm -hmm. once you're actually in the workforce what it is. I think. Definitely. I think what it comes back to is what we spoke about about you know what are we hard on. And I think your um, your outline there about, you know, basically you're here to do a job and if you don't like it, well, tough, we're going to do it, but we can support you and this is a learning opportunity. You know, you're hard on those boundaries. I think this is the same mm -hmm. with the kids, right? I see this with little kids, with big kids. It's like, let's let's define the parameter. I mean, this is, this, this is yes. where the box came from, right? The box is about understanding the reality of what's going on in the environments we choose to work in. And there is an assumptions there that we have a choice. And I think for most of us in the Western world, working for these organizations, it is a choice. Mm -hmm. But if the clearer you are around those parameters, and then you start to tap into those individuals' motivations and understanding, as we've spoken about, then you create that, that space where people can either deliver, but also feel empowered for the future. The, the challenge is finding people that can articulate it as eloquently as you do now, because mm. You know, it's interesting for our, our for our listeners to actually just go back maybe and replay. And I won't be able to re recount it specifically, but that millennial question, as you said, that Gen Z is there's a very well thought philosophy with that, which for me is incredibly appealing. And like I said, it's it's harsh, but it's real, but it's also incredibly fair. And yes. and like I say, if that comes back to what you were saying right throughout the whole piece about you know your ability to, you know, talk have an opinion you know sometimes it's, they have a big mouth it's kind of that's cool because if that's what you're spouting i'm like i'll have some of that <laughs> and and again it comes from a genuine space because at the end of the day no one's here to try and clip someone else's wings i mean you you know i don't know i've got time for that kind of stuff if anything do a good job and then on your way on your way like just just use me for what i'm worth use this job for what it's worth and go where you want to be Yes. I mean, that's what you owe yourself. You owe yourself success. Let me make it happen for you. And if you think you don't owe yourself success, let me try and change that outlook. And you know what? If none of this is working, well, that's all good, man, because I'm on a clock. You're on a clock. One of us will be gone soon. So life goes on. <laughs> I think, Nav, one thing, and we haven't, I don't know if we've brought it up yet here, but the, the, there's a concept in boxing, like when in boxing training called road work. Um, yep. And road work is uh, the the nickname of mm -hmm. thanklessly waking up usually at the dark for a fighter and doing 
I don't know, eight to 10 Ks of running in the morning before any other human being wakes up. And that is not, that is just the, shall we say, cherry on the top of any other training that they're going to do that day, whether it's, you know, strength and conditioning training or sparring or any of the other things that they do. But they talk about this thankless thing of road work. And I really genuinely mm-hmm. feel that it's something that's not emphasized as much because some jobs are like road work, but they're career road work. And yes. I love what Nav's been saying here is like just building the foundations of like work ethic, coming in, doing the job, squeezing the life out of it for whatever that is, utilizing me for the knowledge that you need in the IP you're going to gain and then springboard, like go wherever you need to go. And if it's in the company, it's in the company. If it's not, it's not. And I think that that's a very, I think I get and I, I get and I wholeheartedly agree, Ben, on that appealing outlook. Like, isn't it nice? Like, let's work together. Let's kick ass. Let's, if you're staying great, you keep kicking ass. If I'm going great, let's with, with this, you know, I think that's, that's truly what I would love all networking to be. Let's work together. Let's have the best time. Let's work hard. Let's make each other better. And then let's go to the next thing. If that's what it is, or we stay together, if that's the, what it is as well. I, I love mm-hmm. that outlook. Yeah. And I might just point out that before Nav and I met about four months ago, I mean, he was, he was good, but he wasn't that good. You know, he's, he, you know, he's had, he's had an excellent coach and some rather special training from Ben Reeve, www.theboxiliving.com consultant to the stars. No, but in all honesty, I think what you've created through the program, Ben, and, and I'm, I'm not saying this to grease you up because I don't really need to, right? Is <laughs> at, at the end of the day, what, what you've, sort of made very clear is the fact that if you don't take the time for yourself, no one else is going to give you that time. Yes. And I mean, I I can't say I've been a good boy and, you know, yes, I've done all my little, my thought exercises and all of that. No, I haven't, but I've definitely felt a lot less guilty of taking time out for myself to think and and not necessarily think just about the work, but to just think. And, and that's something that's quite invaluable. And that, that would have come from the program because otherwise I'm one of those A types. I'll just keep running and running and running till I just drop. And, and then yeah. once I get up, I, I'll be like, oh, you know, that's fine. That's all good. Dust it off. And then whoosh, again. So it's just, yeah. Yeah. Just that sustainable sort of outlook was, um, it, it's something that's come from the program. To be fair. Excellent. Well, and it's fun because like I said, you know, the joy I get in my job is I get to learn from different people that I meet. And I, you know, it's, it's a, it's a rich melting pot of different people, different perspectives. I think your journey and, and where you've been and where you've got to and your outlook on life, like I say, is, is, is refreshing. And I think the, the clarity with which you deliver it is what got me. And I like the fact you've got the philosophies, but there's also this humility and this appreciation that what was your phrase around ignorance again? I, I don't even know the extent of my ignorance. That. I mean, I think for me, that's the key. You know, I talk about when all is said and done, more is said than done. But I think equally, it's, it's, it's about the actions and the thoughts concurrently, but also the humility to appreciate the fact that we're just, I guess, all learning through the journey. So I want to thank you both for yeah. your time. As ever, you know, time runs on, but what a fabulous conversation. Nav, um, when I'm in Auckland at some stage, when it all opens, I owe you lunch and we will go and do that. I want to thank you. Blake, always good to see you. Ladies and gentlemen, um, if you're interested in these, some of the thoughts we've spoken about, check out www.theboxiliving.com. Leave any feedback, let us know how we're going. Um, thank you very much. Cheers. Thanks, Ben. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Blake. Thanks, Nav. 